0: welcome back to another episode of Betch's brides i'm your
1: host fallon carter and today we are talking all things food and beverage it is the top of the year still sort of kind of and many of you have probably gotten engaged you found your great venue and now it's time to figure out how are you feeding what's the drinks that are gonna flow what type of champagne are you gonna have is it seated plated Are there going to be kids meals all of these things and I want to help walk you through some of the questions when it comes to catering food and beverage all of those things questions to ask your catering partners how to do some research so without further ado let's get into it so. Immediately following booking a venue, I kind of like to book that caterer just because the expense of a venue, the expense of catering, (laughs) um, those two line items are generally the biggest chunk of your budget. So you really want to be mindful to sometimes do them in tandem. Even Um, I'm sometimes secretly searching for catering partners At the same time, I'm searching for venues and trying to do at least get proposals and understand exactly how the costs might run parallel to each other. So that way I'm not making one decision without really taking into account the next decision. And just when you're going through your planning, it's important to kind of, I would say, source as many vendor partners and creative partners. so That way you get a holistic view of your budget sooner than later um, before making truly final decisions. So don't make final decisions unless you understand exactly how that decision financially impacts the next step after it. Um, So one point to think about when you were going into catering Is to think about the food and the beverage that's important to you. And I tell my couples when you have a great date night or when you go and you always say, you know, let's order takeout from this place, think about what that cuisine is. Think about what makes that food so delicious. Even like the profile of the food. Do you like more sweet food? Do you like savory food? Do you like umami? (laughs) Like, think about all like, are you a ramen person? Do you love Italian? Are you like steaks are a must have? I love a good fish. Think about all of the cuisines and the foods that have told your love story and think about using those as the stepping stone to your catering kind of research if you will. And also at the same time where you thinking about the food that people are eating, it's also very important to think about the types of wines, the type of cocktails, maybe even the type of ginger beer you like if that's your thing that you want to complement these meals. And that also again could be special wines that have been present at celebrations that you've had or they could be wines that really, again, do tell your love story. Maybe they're from a venue that you visited um, on a, a special trip. So I, I love a good brainstorm. But again, as you start to move closer to your date, more things will kind of fall out of the sky into your mind and you'll be like, oh, yeah, we loved this. So try to keep a running list of things that really have stood out to you when it comes to food and beverage and wines and all of these other delicious things and desserts and that kind of thing. I even suggest taking pictures and snapshots of menus from recent restaurant visits that you're like, this was an outstanding cocktail. We have to duplicate this again, just because I'm usually asking my couples, what do you like? I can point you in the right direction of caterer, but they might not fit the bill if you love a certain aesthetic and a certain food that I'm not privy to. So cataloging all of those elements is really delightful for me to see them. And then I can say, oh, this is who you should use. So after you have a clear understanding of like, I like this kind of food. We like these types of drinks. We like these types of wines. This is our favorite dessert. We'd love to have pie over cake, that kind of thing. And you've crowdsourced that or you've like brainstormed it. and Maybe you mind map it if you want to put it on a piece of paper hold it for a second. So the next step is to identify the formality of the event. So understanding maybe you already have booked the venue and now you're like, okay, I want this to be a plated meal. Or maybe again, you're searching for venue and catering together. When it comes to the formality of the event and the way you present the food, completely up to you. There is no right, wrong way to do it. You could have a barbecue (laughs) where you literally have a charcoal pit and someone is out there making it happen. It's all about the presentation. You can still make that same exact thing look amazing. Some of my most favorite events have been ones that are on farms and that have kind of this we build a fire essentially and we have we're roasting lambs and we're roasting pigs and we're like we've even roasted all the pies and the sides and the vegetables on these open flames and it's the smell is amazing the guests are interacting with it it's you're presenting it in cast iron skillets and all of that is so fun and amazing. But you might be having your wedding at a ballroom and a plate of dinner just works better. So identify exactly the way that you want to have a dining experience. I know for myself, I don't really like to sit down very much. So I think stations would probably be something that I would gravitate towards. I want to be able to get up. I want to graze. I want to be on the dance floor. And then I want to go get another helping of macaroni and cheese over there in the corner. So identify exactly what works for you. Um, the most Popular formalities of food or ways to present your food would be a true plated meal, which is when servers will come and they will bring one plate to each guest and it will have generally a protein, um, your sides, and it's kind of done. <laughs> You'll probably also get an appetizer as well. I don't mean to play down plated meals. I love a plated meal because it, it's less to think about, but plated meals are great. And they're sophisticated and they're lovely. Sometimes you can do dual um, where you might have a chicken and a fish or a beef and a fish and you have both of them on the same plate, like presented really cool. Plated is easy peasy and probably the most generic style that you're familiar with. Some people say buffet. I like stations. The word buffet, I think of like Golden Corral. It's like eh, stations to me, it kind of elevates it a bit. (laughs) Stations are basically times where Again, you can do this very differently, but there's chafing dishes and food is presented and then people choose their own adventure, go around, they walk around, help themselves. Now, you can have some really elevated stations where you might have an Asian cuisine in one corner, you might have an Indian cuisine in another corner, and you might have maybe American or barbecue in another corner, but it's kind of like creating a smorgasbord or like an open food market kind of situation, which I always find really cool, especially if you're like, I cannot pick a cuisine. We are world travelers and we love to eat, so I want everything at the wedding. Stations, I definitely would say, would be for you. And it makes the event that much more fun when people when you get to be a little bit more playful with the cuisine and really show your show your style um, through your food. And then another style that's pretty popular as well is family style. And this is where you're on your dining table when everyone sits down, they might start with a salad and probably put like five salads on a table and people kind of are like a family, we dine together, we help each other out. I might give you a little salad, pick, give me the salad bowl over here, I'll take a little salad. Um, so it's really this is way interactive. Um, if you are a germaphobe <laughs> or someone who was like, um, COVID, <laughs> then family style might not be your thing. But if you know everyone in the room and you're really trying to make this intimate experience, I love using family style because also if the families don't know each other, it's a great way to kind of force people to communicate because you have to be like, hey, can you can you pass me that over there? So it's a really it's a really great um,
0: ice breaking (laughs) form of dining, if you will. When it comes to the plant based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant focused diet.
1: Done those elements. I would say the next thing is to identify the budget, and I, I mean, I, w- this can go either way. But consider that your budget for catering is going to be at least thirty percent of your overall wedding budget. So that's at least <laughs> it could be fifty percent if you're like, I want duck and I want caviar and I want you know all these other amazing things. But it uh, at least hold thirty percent of your budget to allocate towards food and beverage. And it's also keeping in mind it's not just the cost of food and beverage physically, it's the cost of taxes, labor fees, administrative fees, so all of these other things come together in it. And generally your rentals are also built into that catering cost. So just flagging that for you. But identify the budget that you do not want to exceed, understanding your overall budget, take that 30% away and say this is actually comfortable or food and beverage is so important to me, I actually do want to give a hair more to this line item to make sure that we do this right and to do this well. Especially if you're having a dinner where, and and sometimes we've done events where dancing wasn't a focus and they weren't dancing people. And we put more dollars and cents towards the dinner because we wanted it to be longer and we wanted to have proper wine pairings through throughout each course. So we really focused on this being a truly elevated dinner party style wedding. And that's why our budget was a little bit higher for that. But generally the budget for your catering is going to be a per person cost. Um, So you want to identify exactly how much this is going to shake out per person. And usually there's a per person cost specifically for the plated meal, um, just for generic terms. And then there's a per person cost specifically for an open bar. Um, And those prices definitely vary depending on where you live and your market. But just understand when you see your budget generally the bar is definitely separate from your food and beverage so you'll see those together and then you can adjust which ones to get to a holistic cost of what you're comfortable with spending how to start your research with your catering company or their catering provider and I'm lumping catering in the conversation of food of beverage as well just because I always suggest hiring a catering partner that can do both. One, it helps with just (laughs) conversations of like, who's bringing the ice? (laughs) So who's bringing the glassware? I love when I can hire a full service caterer that does the beverage service as well, which means they provide the bartenders, they provide mixers, they provide garnishes, they make sure they calculate the glassware, and they know exactly how many things of wine I need to pair with my dinner. If in some instances you might work at a venue where the bar service is down. Definitely separate, um, or the the bar service is in house, so you only have to source your catering partner. That works easy peasy as well. Make sure that you always connect your catering partner with that bartender person, just because sometimes if you might want your catering staff to serve your wine because they might have a more elevated aesthetic than the bar staff at your venue. So. Generally, if you're whoever serves the wine is the one who owns the liquor license. And that will be your bartenders at the venue. So just make sure you're coordinating. I always make sure we're coordinating styles. We look alike. So that way when your guests walk in, they think that everyone is the exact same staff. So it just helps the mentality of it. But that was that's just another little tangent that I just ran on in my mind. I'm like, ooh, child. So as you start your search for your catering partner. I always say ask your venue first. Generally, there is, they have a preferred list of vendors that they love to work with. One, because catering partners probably have the most... One of the biggest footprints in your wedding space is they're the ones who set up. They're the ones who need the longest load in. So, you, your venue is probably going to point in the right direction of someone who they really like to work with and that knows the space really well, knows how to load things in, knows how to store the things, knows how to leave it in a pristine condition, which is great for you, especially if you have any security deposits. You don't want to be held liable for anything that you might incur, especially when you're working with potentially a new caterer. Now, if they they have a preferred list, great. If they have an exclusive list, awesome. Um, that's a great place to start. I would say the next step after that, if they're like, if maybe you've looked at that list and you're not crazy about any of the options, I would then say hit up Instagram. I like to Instagram search weddings that have happened at the same venue that I'm looking at. And I look at the style of the wedding, maybe even styles of the dinner tables and see if they resonate with me. (laughs) And then I will look at the vendor list and see which caterer they used. And sometimes you'll get a surprise and delight. But for the most part, if there's a preferred... list, people are working with one of those people just because of the ease of it. Also, um, when you're working with a preferred vendor off the list for your catering company at your venue, sometimes they get extra perks. Um, sometimes they get additional load-in time or they can the rentals can arrive a day earlier. Sometimes they just... They are a little bit kinder to them as opposed to you bringing someone new to the table. And that is not to deter you from bringing someone new to the table. I love a breath of fresh air. It's just sometimes it's just worth going with the preferred one (laughs) because they get it. You have to explain less. You're probably going to have to communicate less, Um, especially if you're doing this without a planner. It's like, just take the easy route. So. One thing that does come up when you're thinking of exclusive vendor partners at your venue is food and beverage for if you have a specific religion, maybe you're looking for a cultural cuisine that you're not seeing. I've done Nigerian weddings. I've done Pakistani Hindu weddings, all of these things, and even kosher weddings. And sometimes you don't see um, the food that you're identifying with reflected on this list. Just ask your venue if they allow exceptions to the rule because of the cuisine that you're seeking. Literally 99 out of the 100 times they've said yes and we're able to bring in someone else. At the same time, we generally will have to use the staff at the venue or we have to use, yeah, we have basically just have to be mindful of using their staff, making sure we're using their bar if that's necessary, but ask, you'll be happy you did. And then for times when they say no (laughs) this has actually happened to me i did a wedding at um a venue in wisconsin and they had an in-house caterer in wisconsin and it was a pakistani hindu wedding they did not drink they wanted halal meat and it was it was a very interesting experience (laughs) the the bride was from this place in wisconsin so we she was adamant that we had to do it here and i was like well if we have to have pakistani food then we're going to have to think of something else. So we we hired a chef that lived in New York and we flew the chef down multiple times to Wisconsin to teach the staff in house at this Wisconsin venue how to make Pakistani food. So we, you know, sent them ro- robust list of seasonings they needed to get. And the wedding was great. It went off without a hitch we, we taught them. We were, we were also not, we, I didn't teach them anything. (laughs) I was there to quality control and taste test. But yeah, so it, there are instances where you have to get a little experimentative, if you will, or you're going to have to get really, really creative. Um, if your venue tells you, you know, but make sure that's one of the questions that you ask on the front end. So let's talk about what reaching out looks like to vendors, specifically your catering vendor. When I reach out, I keep my budget internal just because you never want to either lowball or highball <laughs> like you just want to say you tell me first how much this is going to cost and then I'll come back and say this is too much and <laughs> can you lower it to this. And what's helpful is I suggest reaching out to about 3 to 5 catering partners um just so you can get a rough market average and then from there you can set. Generally they're all going to be comparable if you're reaching out to kind of vendors that are in line Um, and from there you can usually say all right we need to maybe need to edit the guest count maybe we need to edit the style of the cuisine or we need to edit the food service style maybe we do need to go to stations as opposed to family style and I will say many I'm going to pin this right here many people think family style is less expensive than a plated meal in all honesty plated meals are probably the less the least expensive just because of and, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong with family style, you have to rent a lot of different vessels. So yeah, the food cost may be lower, but your rental cost is going to increase because you need a lot more vessels to hold things on a, on a table as opposed to me just bringing out one plate with the meal on it a fork a couple of forks and knives and napkins. Yes, the food cost may be different but the rental cost may be different depending on how you want to present your food, so something to keep in mind. But going back to the outreach and the questions to ask. So, I'm reaching out to my 3 to 5 vendors. I'm keeping my budget internal, but the information that I do give them and this is really important to make sure you get a holistic budget um, or a a holistic proposal that allows you to make an effective decision. The first thing I I give is always the guest count like that's the number one determining factor of how much this is going to cost you the date of the event, where it is the time. Um, So you, it's really important to understand what time the event ends because that impacts loadout time. Um, And sometimes, you know, staff goes into overtime. Let's say if, if they're loading out over 2 AM, you know, so really have a clear understanding of how many hours your event will be. The rule of thumb is about four hours for a physical dinner reception one hour for cocktail hour is what I'm generally quoting. If you have some extra money to blow, you may want to add an extra hour for after party or something like that. I also quote, um, I also inquire about food style. I let them know I'm looking for a plated meal or I want a seated dinner um, with family style. And then you also specify specific cuisines that you're seeking. I would also look at their menus online and say, we love this from your menu. Can you do this? And asking if if they're open to creating something custom. Also identify if there are any spirits that are important to you. Up front that you want to include in a bar or bar package also ask about cake if they if cake is important to you or desserts important to you ask that you want to see their dessert menu if cake is important to you i always suggest using an outside vendor for cake you never i generally find people who specialize in baking are really great at it so <laughs> make sure i always say have your cake come from a cake baker but ask your catering if there's a food and beverage partner Now that you've done your outreach and you've probably narrowed it down to your top two, this is where you might need a deal breaker. And some people say, I want to taste the food before we sign on a contract. I don't have a clear yes or no about this. Sometimes I've been forced to just book one without a tasting and then we taste and it's always fine. Or we ask them to make certain tweaks. But for the most part, you can really go either way. There's no, you do not have to taste the food prior to booking them, um, just because sometimes I'm working at hotels and I don't get that option. It's like this, the food is in house; we have to. But if tasting the food is really, really, really important to you, maybe do a tie tiebreaker between maybe your top options by doing a tasting. Tastings are in in my experience are fairly expensive, just because they have to get all this food to make these things just for the two of you. Um, It's not an event. There's not volume. So you might get sticker shock. At least some of our couples who request tastings before booking have have seen sticker shock. So just flagging that. But it's a really great exercise. At a tasting, go hungry. And I always suggest go kind of solo like the both of you don't go with too many other opinions your palates are just fine you don't need to be advanced you don't need to be a sommelier you don't need to be a a food critic it's like if you eat it and you like it then that's it period taste the wines that are served at dinner and identify if you like them and then that's fine sometimes if you're into drinks ask a mixologist or send over some drinks that you might like to taste Um, most of the times if at a tasting and we really like how the mixologist mix that drink up um, we will ask them to be present on the day of the wedding and maybe lead the bar another thing to keep in mind is ask about what are the meal options for children and then ask about vendor meals and those with dietary restrictions make sure you're tasting the meal for those with dietary restrictions because If you don't like it, I can guarantee you the person with a dietary restriction will not like it. And I think that's one of the mistakes that some of our couples make at a tasting is we, every, the whole menu should be extremely inclusive. And so I never like to have a silent veg. I want, Even the options for our vegetarians, our vegans, our nut frees, our whatever's, especially if there's a lot of them, to be listed on the menu so they don't feel like we're just giving them something from the back. Make that menu feel really, really like everyone should be seen and heard. At the tasting, make sure you at least taste it. And maybe ask a vegan friend of like, what do you think of this as the menu option? And one thing to call out is the point of the tasting is to understand the quality of the food and the caterer from a high level you do not need to taste everything on your wish list only need to get a sense of how they like season and prepare things and so from there you can be like oh this would taste great for from them generally you only need to do one tasting yes i have done multiple tastings especially for that wisconsin wedding where we were having them create something custom that they had never technically made before Um, but for the most part you only need one and again at the end of the day it's not that just make a decision (laughs) when you're ready to move into contract mode. I always say, if you're expecting 200 guests request a proposal or an invoice for 150 or 175, do not sign on a contract contract for the amount of guests that you're inviting, sign a contract on the amount of guests you are anticipating. Um, Like what's the, if COVID happened again, (laughs) um, I mean, it's still here. Who would be at this dinner table um, or who would be at this wedding? That is the number you go in on, like the absolute count of people that you know will be coming. Um, So that's just something to keep in mind because a lot, I mean, yes, you can change the number, but it you'd rather not. Um, I always say, just go in prepare, create your proposals on 10 to 15 percent less also for those who are under 21 even though they may not be a child but they may be 19 20 make sure you have a clear count of that and that when you're looking at your bar tab number it's not reflected in that guest count so maybe your food count guest for is 145 but you have two kids who are 18 and your drink thing should read 143 oh i did quick math okay (laughs) Have fun with your food and beverage. I'm excited for you. But let's get into some quick listener emails. All right. Hey, Fallon, I love great wine and great cocktails. I have been to too many weddings that have underwhelming wine and terrible cocktails. I don't really care about the food. It's really all about the booze. I wanna upgrade all of the wines, but the wholesale cost from the catering company is startling. It's coming in at like $100 a bottle. How do I ensure the bar is elevated without increasing my budget too much? Hmm. Okay, so when we do bars, especially for people who like have, I'm gonna have a lot of sommeliers. I'm like, yeah, sure. (laughs) But people who know great wine sometimes often think that their guests also know great wine. And for the majority of people, they don't know great wine. So I always say, one, go to your tasting. Taste the wine that your caterer provides already, especially if they already have an in-house sommelier. If you're OK with that, lean into that. If you spit it out, <laughs> OK, then we're moving on. But first step is to taste it. And make sure you like it. The second step is if we're ever elevating wine, and I've done this many times, especially for private estate weddings, we'll have one wine that's specific to the bar that we can buy in larger quantities and the price point is more economical. But if there's a certain wine that we cannot get enough of, or like I've done a rehearsal dinner and this orange wine was impeccable, I always say just elevate your wine for dinner service. Because also post dinner, not many people are drinking wine by the glass. They're probably going to a bubble or they're going back to their true vodka soda type of deal. So if wine is really, really, really important to you, only elevate the wines for dinner. For the most part, you'll need probably three cases of red, two cases of white, or no, might be the inverse. But you'll probably need a, a good handful of bottles and then work with your caterer, have them price out wholesale bottles and give them a few options just because those wholesale prices will fluctuate um, and you'll want to find something that's more economical. The wholesale price that you're gonna pay the caterer and the price that you're able to get at the store are going to be drastically different. Do not get sticker shock. That's just the way of the world. It's labor, it's they're ordering a smaller quantity. They already have an in-house order that they already get. So you're asking for a very special thing and you're gonna have to pay a very special price. (laughs) So in a perfect world, you'd be having this wedding at your house and you could just get the $20 bottles, but they're probably gonna cost you $50 through the caterer. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. And sometimes I feel like I'm in the wrong business. (laughs) So, But yeah, if you're really thinking about it, basic wine at the bar, upgrade the wine for dinner. For great cocktails, have a specific cocktail tasting. I've done this many a time with a couple. They go to their favorite bar, we we get the menu we send it over to the caterer or the mixologist who's going to be on staff the event day they whip up something and we go and we taste it until we actually perfect the garnishes until we perfect the amount of ice the amount of aperol like whatever it is again if these are the details that are important to you make sure you're spending the time and you're finding the right provider to do that Okay, next question. Hi, Betches. My fiance are having a celebration of marriage in March of 2024, and we absolutely love our venue, and it forces us to keep it relatively small, under 100 people total. But our venue has no kitchen on site. So that requires the catering that we bring in to be a buffet. And a not insignificant portion of our guests will have dietary restrictions, including but not limited to gluten free, dairy free, vegetarian, nut allergies, and the list goes on. I'm in my late 30s, so I've seen a lot of what not to do at other people's weddings. So it is extremely important to me that every guest gets an honest to goodness meal and no plate of sad leaves as the alternative option. For Fortunately, I have found a local caterer that does offer a ton of allergen-friendly options, but I want to have an efficient and inclusive buffet. How do I handle the dietary restrictions headcount if it's a buffet when I send out invitations and collect RSVPs? This is such a beautiful question. One, (laughs) because someone that is gluten-free, I love to be dairy-free, I'm definitely vegetarian. But I love nuts. (laughs) And sometimes I like to be sugar free. It's like every day I'm either doing some special fast or just trying to get my skin clear. And the list like I feel you, Alex and John, I feel you. So my suggestion one for this is to work with your partner on creating a menu that is inclusive And to not segregate the meal, like if you're gluten-free and dairy-free, your food's over there. And if you're regular, your food is over here. But sometimes, for the most part, people don't necessarily taste a difference when things are gluten-free or dairy-free. Vegetarian, yeah, it's like you can plop some meat on some things. But for the most part, those things and removing nuts out of things are very easy fixes. If you have to remove onions or garlics or certain spices, now that can get tricky. But the list that you have, it's fairly easy to make a rice dish. The proteins can be clearly separate, You can make a macaroni and cheese that's dairy free. But if you really want to stick to the quality of food, the way it tastes with all of the fe- fats and the meats and the whatevers, I would say have very, very, very clear signage and make sure that you're giving the same amount of kind of protein, quote unquote, to your gluten free, dairy free vegetarians as you are to people who have no dietary restrictions. Like, the plates should kind of look, if you were to walk through the buffet with your plate as the gluten-free, dairy-free, you should not, like you're saying, walk away with only a blob of rice and lettuce. Like it should have a really colorful palette. So I say if signage is like paramount here, so that way you have little icons that identify nut-free, dairy-free, whatever the details are on that. Like say this is a cauliflower rice, or this is a dairy-free macaroni and cheese, maybe even name them. Similar to like when you go to Whole Foods and the (laughs) the signs over the buffet are like, it has a very clear list of the ingredients. And that's important to me because I don't like vegetable oils. Since I'm gluten-free, I'm allergic to also soy. So when I see the sign, I actually do look at all of the ingredients. So I think this is a beautiful question. Make sure you're just using signage for the buffet, but also work with the caterer to identify that the buffet represents everyone's identity. (laughs) And when you collect your RSVPs, I think it's just fine to ask about all their dietary restrictions. Pass that on to the caterer and then refine your menu after that. And make sure you do a tasting. And again, if you like it, your guests will also like it. All right. One last question. Hi. As we envision the flow of our wedding day, we're curious about the services um, that the staff does and time related to food and beverage service, but also the expense. Staffing costs are so high. How many people do we really need at the wedding? Also, what is the timing for dinner and when do we get to dancing and midnight snacks and dessert? Do we have too much food? Do we not have enough time? The meal service and the bar availability, what should I know? We want to ensure a seamless and enjoyable dining experience for our guests, but I need help. Okay, so when it comes to service staff, generally I suggest you should have one service staff person per 10 guests. I like to have one person per table. Yes, you can skirt this down, especially if you're having stations. You do not need that many people. But if you're having a plated meal and you want to ensure the food comes out hot on time and that it, it's served quickly, I always suggest one person per table. Now, rule of thumb here is it generally takes, for a plated meal, in my opinion, <laughs> it generally takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes for everyone, for a group of about, let's say, 150 guests to be served efficiently, right? So it's going to take. 10 minutes for them to get the food out probably 10 to 15 minutes again for them to clear the appetizer another 10 to 15 minutes to get the food out again when you have less staff that time does go up and that's what impacts your dinner service dinner service lasts about an hour and 30 minutes is what i tend to hold for dinner from the point that they sit down to the point that we're about to cut the cake is generally about an hour and a half receptions are generally four hours um, so you have the remaining time to dance Cutting the cake, I literally have happen (laughs) instantaneously. Like once I start to see, like I get a call from my captain, my catering captain, like how do you have one more table? If they have one more table left, I am slowly rolling that cake out simultaneously. So being mindful of the staff that you need is because you want this, like if you want this to be seamless, the staffing is what's going to make it so and the less staff that you have the more clunky and the more timely it's going to be. So if like flow and getting to dancing is really important to you, up that staffing cost, that staffing or labor fee just because it's really 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 going to be worth it. Also something to call out is if it's important that you If people are served drinks at the table from the bar and that they don't have to get up um, or that you want special wines poured specific to each course, this is also important to keep in mind with your staff. And sometimes we'll just keep one person manned at the bar, but we're probably doing all hands on deck to make sure every guest feels like they're having a restaurant experience, if you will. Yes, it is costly for staff, and that's one of the numbers that will take your catering budget up, but it is so worth it to make sure that you have a really, really, really smooth transition in evening. So what dinner and dancing, yeah, you, if you do this right <laughs> and you get done with cake cutting, like 10, 15 minutes after that, you should have a good two and a half hours of dancing left when should you serve desserts generally i say make a dessert station yes you can cut the cake and serve it at the plate at the tables people just don't go back there once especially if you have a dancing crew so pass the cake or make a table where people can kind of go grab it if they want and then with midnight snacks generally i'm doing this probably an hour and 30 after we close so try and get that cake served ASAP because we're probably going to be bringing out midnight snacks probably in the next like 40 minutes. Um, So it really does happen back to back. Do I think midnight snacks and having a dessert are too much? No. If you have a five-hour reception, I think midnight snacks make more sense. I've heard on the street that there are some venues that require midnight snacks, especially if people are heavy drinkers. But I think having some light fries is cute but also i've seen i've been to an event where they gave um what do you call it breakfast sandwiches to go and they gave like a little carrot juice in a to go so i loved a midnight snack kind of to go or if there's a food truck that's waiting out for people as they're like leaving the venue they can grab food and then maybe get on the shuttle bus or choose their own adventure uber Um, however they're getting home I hope it's not driving I am kind of pro midnight snack I love it if you're trying to shave costs it would probably be the first thing I let go I will say that you can never do too much food at a wedding (laughs) actually that's a lie you can but I think it's I like a midnight snack I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie just because I like to sample the fries at the end of the night Um, (laughs) so I I did want to end with this one thing to comment about staffing for speeches When you're curating your run of show and you're outlining how many people are speaking and the times that they're speaking, make sure that you're um, sharing this information with your catering company so that they understand when you'd like service to stop, but also ask them or they will generally ask you if it's okay for them to keep servers on to remove things while people are giving a toast. Generally, I like the room silent other than people eating. So for speeches, I like to have the meal served and then while people are eating, that is when we give the toast. That way there's a clear time for us to clear and not impact um, a toast if we're trying to, you know, people f- drop a plate or if the one of the caterers drops glasses or something, it doesn't make a noise. Um, so that's just something to think about. Make sure you're really communicating the flow of the event with your catering provider to make sure you got it. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Betch's Brides. You guys can follow the show at Betcha's Brides on Instagram. You can follow me at I am Fallon Carter. Please be sure, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. We'll have new episodes every single Monday, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Thank you so much for listening, Until death do us part. The Betches Brides podcast is produced by Rebecca Salsmakat, Lauren Salome, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salsmakat. Social media by Lauren Salome. Be sure to follow us at Betches Brides and send us your emails to brides at Betches.com.
0: Betches.